Hello, hello, and welcome to Soccer Made in Portland on OregonLive.com and Stumptown Footy. My name is Chris Reifer, and joining me as always, the Timbers and Thorns beat writer for the Oregonian and OregonLive.com, Jamie B. Goldberg. Jamie B., what's up? Um, It's kind of been a crazy day for me, actually. I've been running around to Thorns training, Kayla Porter's press conference, another little event for a pretty cool story that I'm going to be doing coming up, but... uh. I'll be vague about that one for right now. Um, But yeah, I've been running around because both the teams are leaving tomorrow. So getting all the journalism out of the way, uh, reporting out of the way today um, before the Thorns go on a big road trip uh, here and um, the Timbers obviously go to Toronto. Yes, the Thorns off to play both the Chicago Red Stars this coming uh, weekend uh, on Saturday, but then also heading straight down to Kansas City to play FCKC uh, on Wednesday. The Timbers, of course, are heading out to Toronto, uh, which if you want to sound like you're from the United States, you say Toronto. Uh, I am going to pretend like I'm Canadian because that's kind of fun uh, and, and say Toronto. Uh, but yeah, so they are, 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 are going that way, the sort of going same direction, but Timbers, I suppose, a little bit uh, farther than the Thorns. But yeah, that's uh, that, that's what they've got going on. So you're like doing stuff. Me here, I'm, I'm just trying to, you know, beat the heat. I, I'm actually, uh, again this week, keeping my windows and, and like sort of patio door open uh, in spite of the noises of the city uh, because, well, it's hot in my apartment. And and, and I want to make sure, you know, I, I, I don't pass out from heat stroke during the course of recording this podcast. So if you hear some uh, some, some more, you know, city noises, that's why. City noises can be kind of fun. Uh, also horrifying. Um, okay, uh, let's talk about soccer. Uh, that is that is what we generally talk about on this show. Now, let's start with the Timbers' 3-1 to win over the LA Galaxy. That was Sunday morning and afternoon. Started at 11 o'clock, which was uh, kind of weird, but kind of nice in the end because like we were able to get our work done and still have a little bit of Sunday. Uh, I imagine folks felt the same way as they... Uh, as they left the game uh, and then had their full day in, in front of them. So that was kind of cool. Uh, also cool was the Timbers win, which is something we haven't seen at Providence Park uh, in, I don't know, like not like forever, but in a little bit because they lost their last game. Uh, we did both call the Timbers win. We didn't quite get the scoreline right. And I actually think both of our uh, predictions were sort of wrong in the same way. Uh, you called a 2-1 win with a Sebastian Blanco brace. Uh, you got the win, but you, you didn't get the score line. You sort of got the Galaxy score, but not the Timber score. Uh, I called a 3-2 win uh, with the Fernando Adi brace. Same sort of deal. I got the Timber score, not the Galaxy score, but I did get the win. Uh, both of the people that we thought were going to get braces did not, but they also both got assists. Uh, Blanco, a second assist, and, and, and Adi, the primary assist. I believe both on Alvis Powell's goal if my memory is serving me correctly. Uh, Jamie, you're giving out the points today. Uh, the only requirement is that we get the same number of points. <laughs> um, I will give us both um, 15 points, um, mostly because that's the jersey number I wore growing up. Growing up so I just like that number. Uh, yeah, as you can tell, the, uh, the, the points are determined on the show by a rigorous scientific process. Uh, so we both get 15 points today uh, the, coming through the, this, you know, highly technical uh, formula that, that Jamie applied uh, to get to that point. Um, yeah. OK. Uh, the Timbers got off to a really fast start in this game. And by that, I mean, like the first five minutes, they were all over the galaxy. Uh, they had one uh, Fernando Adi goal called off. 
because of uh, an offside call. There was the correct call. Uh, no, no argument about that. Uh, but, it, it, you know, I mean, it was it was otherwise a, a, a pretty good goal. And it's not like he was egregiously offside or anything like that. Uh, but then very, very shortly thereafter, the Timbers did get the opener by way of Liam Ridgewell, uh, getting his way back into the lineup and onto the score sheet. Uh, and, and, and the Timbers looked like they were off to the races. I, I mean, it, it frankly wasn't competitive uh, to that point. Immediately, however, they found themselves on the verge of falling apart, uh, which was not something that I think a lot of people wanted to see. And I think for, for myself, certainly, it, it was evocative uh, of their performance against RSL for a little while. How concerned are you about that? I mean, how concerned is that, you know, sort of 15, 20-minute period in which the Timbers very nearly gave up three goals? They did give up one goal. They they appear, appeared to give up another before we got to video review, which we will get to in a moment, uh, that nullified it for Jesse's artist. And then uh, the old friend Jack McInerney came through with a, a missed sitter to let the Timbers off the hook once again. How concerned are you sort of about that period uh, and, and how that sort of reflects on the Timbers form in general. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's concerning and I think a better team uh, would have, you know, capitalized on that. Uh, you know, a better striker uh, would have made that sitter that Jack McInerney missed. And, and uh, I, I think a better team would have taken advantage of the Timbers in that moment. I, I, L.A. is a team that has struggled this year. And because of that, I, I think that the Timbers got a bit lucky um, in that period of play i think overall after that period of play the timbers were solid and um i i think it was clear that they were in control of the game uh outside of those minutes um and were in a position to win and because they because the game was still tied after that situation i i felt as if the tippers were going to pull it out and ultimately they did get the 3-1 win they ultimately were able to get that third goal which i think is big for them um and being able to close out the game, I think, was also big for them. So I, I, I do think it is a concerning trend that we're seeing these lapses. It wasn't at the end of the game, and I do think they were able to close out the match, which is a positive. Um, but the biggest concern is that a better team, I think, would have taken advantage of that and put the Timbers in a position where they might not have been able to come back and win it. So that is something they do have to avoid. But overall... I, I think the majority of the match was a good performance, and, and that's in line with the Timbers having pretty good performances in, in recent weeks, e- even though there are still some of these concerns there. Um, I think there is a positive trend in overall how they've been playing. I think that's a very fair sort of overall take. I, I am still, though, nonetheless concerned uh, uh, about that 15-minute swoon, and, and it's because it's something we have seen over and over again over the course of the year. The Timbers get up by a goal, uh, and then the foot comes off the gas and then the, and, and, you know, not only does the foot come off the gas, but in that instance, and, and Caleb Porter even said this in the postgame press conference, he essentially said uh, they got kind of emotional uh, after they gave up that goal, that there was sort of visible frustration, visible emotion from the team. And that's just, I mean, it, it's just the kind of thing where that's just what's going to cause to the same mistakes being made over and over and over again. And so that does concern me. I agree with you though, that, that especially for about the, 15 minutes on either side of halftime. The Timbers were really, really good. And and that might be overstating it from the Timbers' end a, a bit, but they were certainly significantly, significantly better than the Galaxy, who I thought were just a steaming pile of poo on the day. Uh, but, but that you know, look, I mean, if the Timbers were bad, they wouldn't have been able to, to sort of retake the game back, take it completely under control, 
and really for all practical purposes, put it away by, you know, whether they, they got the third goal in about the 55th minute. Uh, and, and from there, the Galaxy didn't look uh, like they were th- significantly threatening to cut into the lead uh, to say nothing of erase it. And, and so, you know, I mean, credit to the Timbers for having that about 30 minute period of play in which they really were dominant. Uh, they really did deserve to sort of build the lead that they ultimately had and, and had some opportunities even uh, to build it even further uh, and, and to really take control. I wasn't in love, I mean, with the sort of last half hour, and I think Porter also alluded to this after the game, that even with 3-1, it was at least conceivably a still competitive game, uh, even though the Galaxy certainly, uh, uh, as you noted and I noted, didn't look like they were, they were, they were going to be getting back into that one. They did, after Jonah Dos Santos came on to make his debut, look, you know, less terrible. Uh, and, and you would have liked to have seen the Timbers be a little bit more dominant over the course of those last 30 minutes and really finish it off. They weren't. Part of that had to do with Fernando Adi coming off with an injury. Put a pin in that. We're going to talk about that in a second. Uh, part of that had to do, I thought, I thought, with the Timbers just not being terribly aggressive, just being a little bit complacent with, uh, w- w- with getting their lines organized and deep, which they did to their credit, and we haven't always seen that. Uh, but having their lines organized and deep and then looking to play on the counter, I did think there was uh, certainly a space in that period of the game when they could have been a little bit more front foot, a little bit more positive, a little bit more possession-oriented, and they weren't, uh, which I don't, I, I'm not nearly as concerned about that, uh, given the, other, the control that they were otherwise exerting as I am uh, about that stretch in the first half. But nonetheless, I mean, you know, if you're grading out the entirety of the performance... Kind of what you got to say. A uh, question from Bradley that I think raises an interesting point about the game, and certainly uh, with respect to the, the, those 20, 15 or 20 minutes or so in which the Timbers really struggled in the first half, uh, which is why Roy Miller at left back over Vitas last weekend. What do you think? I mean, was this health related? Was it form related? What did you, was it matchup related? What do you think it was uh, that made Porter make that decision? I, I think it's unlikely that it was health related, al- although Vitas had obviously been out, but because he was in the 18, I, I, I think and, and Caleb Porter said going in the game that he expected him to be expected him to be available to play. Um, I think that he was an option to start. I, I mean, Porter doesn't want to put someone on a bench that where you might have an injury five minutes in and they're not capable of playing in, in the type of role uh, that a fullback needs to play. Um, I think it was personnel because Miller had been playing really well for the Timbers and had shown well at left back, even though that's not his primary position. I also think that uh, Caleb Porter didn't anticipate the matchup uh, that Miller was going to get because that had to do um, with L.A. not having the personnel they were expecting going into the game. Uh, So I I think it was just a number of factors that kind of didn't go the Timbers way. Miller was up against... Uh, Boateng, who was not a good matchup for him, and, and that was not what the matchup that Porter had probably anticipated going to the game. And looking at Miller's form, he probably expected, why don't we keep going with this guy? Um, not anticipating it would be such a bad matchup. I, I do think Miller got better after uh, that goal, but I, I think maybe if Porter had known exactly who was going to be playing, he, Miller might not have been in that left-back position. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think that last point is, is the biggest one for me. Uh, certainly form had something to do with it. And and look, I, Ray Miller has arguably been the Timbers' most consistent player on the back line this year. Uh, that's not reflecting terribly well on everybody else that, that is on the back line, uh, I, I think. But I mean, it, it is genuinely also credit to Miller. 
uh, who has been good. I mean, really, that was the first time and that was the first period where I sort of looked at Miller and said, man, he looks in over his head right now. He looks out of his depth. Otherwise, he's been good, whether it's been at left center back or left or left back. He, that's not to say he's been perfect by any means, but he's been as good as anybody else on the, on the back line for the Timbers this year. And so you get the, the, the form aspect of it. But I actually thought the the bigger factor was was the uh, was the matchup and the expected matchup leading into the game. I don't think there was anything suggesting uh, otherwise. But was that Romain Alessandrini would probably be on the right wing uh, for the Galaxy? The way he likes to play, he's much more of a playmaker than he is sort of a a, a backline stretcher guy that's going to try to get in behind and do that kind of thing. He's going to play in the channels a bit more. He's going to play in the midfield a bit more. Uh, and he's very good at, at that. He's been by far the Galaxy's best player in, in an otherwise dumpster fire of a season uh, for the team in Carson. Uh, and, and so a, a Roy Miller at left back matching up on uh, against that right winger makes a certain amount of sense, right? Because you're going to want uh, Miller to be tracking him, to be reading uh, the game, uh, to be able to step up into midfield when necessary, uh, to disrupt Alessandrini, uh, and, and, and to do those kinds of things. And those are all things that Miller does well, whether it's at a, a left center back or a left back position. And so in, in many respects, that, that made perfect sense as a matchup against Alessandrini. If you were in at Providence Park before the game, though, you saw that Alessandrini was on the field going through a fitness test. Clearly, it, it, it was very clear early on before the game, before the lineups came out, that there was something going on with him where they weren't sure if he was going to play. Obviously, he was in contention because he traveled. If there was no chance he was going to play, uh, and this is something that the Timbers just missed over the course of the week, he wouldn't have traveled. And and I didn't see anything in the media uh, about Alessandrini not playing. And, you you know, I mean, over the course of, uh, of that fitness test, as it dragged on and dragged on and dragged on, and then finally lineups were released, it became clear that he was not going to play, which is undeniably a loss for the Galaxy. Uh, and, and in his place, at that right wing, is Emma Boateng, who was, I mean, an inferior player times about a 1,000. Alessandrini is significantly better uh, than the rather one-dimensional Boateng. But <laughs> that one dimension that he brings is exactly the one dimension that you would expect Roy Miller to struggle most with as a left back. And that is uh, Boateng is a constant threat to get in behind, uh, to stretch that back line, and, and to exploit space, uh, which is exactly what he did to get the the Galaxy's first goal and exactly what Miller failed to cover. To, to his credit, and as you noted, Miller ended up covering that, ended up sort of making the adjustment that he needed to make in order to cover that weakness over the course of the rest of the game. And we really didn't see uh, Boateng being active at all uh, over the course of the rest of the game. So credit to him in that regard, but... Clearly, the the adjustment that needed to be made before the game uh, with Miller was not, uh, and and that is unfortunate. That is that is, I mean that is also you know to a certain extent on Miller. Uh, he did lose track of him once. He did uh, fail to close down the or to shut down preemptively the space in behind, uh, and the Timbers lost a goal and 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 almost lost control of the game as a result of it. Uh, but as far as why the selection, I I do think it was sort of that combination of form. Uh, but perhaps more importantly, the, that that matchup with Alessandrini uh, that probably dictated that move. Uh, the other big talking point coming out of this game obviously was video replay, and not just because uh, it nullified a Jossie Zardes goal uh, for what was ultimately determined to be a clear and obvious handball uh, offense, but also for when it wasn't used. And I think the one that people most uh, look to in that regard is a penalty shout 
uh, for Fernando Adi in, in, in late in the first half of the game, in which Dave Romney took him down from behind while Adi was out on a break. Uh, what did you think about sort of the debut of video replay? How quickly it worked, how well it worked, and whether they're looking at the right kinds of things? Yeah, I thought with uh, Zardes's goal that it, w- it they figured that out in a amount of time that I, I didn't feel impacted the flow of the game in a meaningful way. And they got a call right that would have been a very bad mistake had that gone through and had those replays been out for the public to see. I mean, that was a clear and obvious handball, as you said. And a week prior, LA Galaxy would have been up 2-1. That could have changed the entire game. Momentum is a big deal, obviously, in soccer. If LA Galaxy goes on to win that game and that's the replay coming out of it, you're looking at the MLS referees and saying, okay, um, what went wrong here? So I think that was a very effective use of video replay. And the the timing for me was not an issue, which was, I think, one of the bigger worries going in. I, I think what we learned from the game is that it's still very subjective. And that's a little bit concerning. Um, because I do think that Audi play should have been reviewed. I, I can understand how referees don't want to overuse video replay if you're using it on way too many offsides calls and um, obviously potential goals and also using it on every time a player gets fouled in the box, suddenly you are going to be stopping the game and it's going to disrupt the game in a meaningful uh, way uh, that we don't want to see. But I I, I think when there are real questions uh, about a foul in, in the box, and that's one of the ways that one of the four game changing situations that referees are supposed to be looking at, um, I think the referees need to be leaning towards probably using video replay if the option's there. And, or, or else I think as Caleb Porter seemed to be after the game, coaches are going to be unhappy that the it's not being used fairly and in the circumstances when it's supposed to be. So it's still very subjective. Um, I, I don't know how they fix that. And I, I don't want to see them using video replay all the time on every single call or anything like that. But I felt that that was a call that should have been at least reviewed if the option's there. Yeah, it should have been at least reviewed if the option was there. And, and frankly, if we're being honest, it should have been overturned. It should have been a penalty. I, I, the, there's been some, frankly, rather surprising uh, diversity of opinion, I'll call it, uh, about whether Romney fouled Adi. Uh, what we know from, from viewing the replays uh, is that Romney got none of the ball. That is indisputable. There, there, there is no rational argument that, that Dave Romney got any of the ball because he didn't. Uh, and we have a replay that shows us that beyond any, any possible dispute. Uh, he had a, an arm around Adi's back, and then he brought uh, his leg uh, across and over uh, Adi's front leg. Uh, that certainly was enough to make Adi, Adi fall down. It was certainly enough to impede Adi. Uh, I don't think there's any rational argument otherwise. I mean, you know, can you say that Adi was trying to shield the ball? Sure, but he's entitled to do that. Uh, can you say that Adi maybe a shot earlier? Sure, but you know what? That's not a reason not to give a foul. Uh, can you say that Adi uh, maybe didn't absolutely need to go down? I think that's hard to say because I think the challenge would have taken him down eventually anyway. But look, I mean, when when do we apply a standard of could a player have <laughs> sort of engaged heroic actions to not go down? Never. Uh, and, and and so to me, that that is a relatively straightforward call. It was a foul. Uh, and replay, in in my view, very clearly and obviously, I say rather pointedly, uh, demonstrated that. 
We don't know. I mean, the way VAR works is the the sort of eyes and the, the assistant referee, the VAR, a video assistant referee in the booth, takes an initial look at it. If he finds that the referee has made or a, a clear and obvious error, uh, he recommends to the center referee uh, to review the play. The center referee can either reject or accept that recommendation. Uh, so the center referee has that option uh, to his avail. We don't know and, and we're not permitted to inquire uh, as to where in sort of that process it broke down. We don't know if the VAR said, go ahead, no uh, review warranted. Uh, or if uh, if Drew Fisher, the referee on the day, uh, ultimately said, nah, I see, I hear your, your recommendation. I just reject it. I'm not going to review it. We don't know. Uh, but nonetheless, if that is the kind, if that is going to be a call that isn't enough to warrant review, I think especially with with penalty shouts and especially with penalty calls, it's going to be really, really heavily determined by what the call is on the field. Uh, and if a penalty is given, uh, then the penalty will probably be given. If the penalty is not given, then I, I think you are going to see very few instances in which a penalty is not given uh, and they go back based on a review and, and issue a penalty. Because if that is not clear and obvious, if that is not enough to sort of instigate review uh, and, to bring that, and, and to bring that within the, the scope of what is reviewable, frankly, I, don't, I just think you're going to see very few. Uh, so, you know, it'll be interesting to see. I guess the point from that is it'll be interesting to see even within sort of the, the, the categories, the four categories of things that are reviewable, goals, penalties, uh, red cards, and mistaken identification, even within those four, whether there's some sort of disparate effect in how the, the, the replay rules are sort of treated between those two, because you can, between those four, because you can see it was easy for them ultimately to, uh, to review uh, and, 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 and to disallow Zardis' goal. It was much, much harder, however, uh, to, to review the penalty uh, the penalty issue, and that could be something that we see uh, going forward more consistently. Okay, uh, let's do our food. So we had like a brief moment, right? It was a hot second where the Timbers were basically healthy. Everybody who they would have uh, chosen uh, for the 18 on, on Sunday, they chose, and they were able to choose. And that was uh, a close to, but not quite, unique moment uh, in this season. Uh, and that moment has also passed because the Timbers are no, are no longer healthy uh, after that game against the Galaxy uh, and, in fact, have an injury report that is not insignificant. So here we go again. Uh, what is that injury report, Jamie Goldberg? Start us off with Fernando Adi. Yeah, uh, Porter said today that he injured his hamstring on the backheel pass to Alvis Powell that led to Alvis Powell's goal, um, the third goal in the game against the Galaxy. He basically said it wasn't, it was not severe, but also said that Audie hadn't trained uh, as of today, Wednesday, um, and, and didn't know his status for the weekend. I think if a player hasn't trained on Wednesday, particularly if the, when the team's going to a place like Toronto and making that kind of travel, I personally think that sounds doubtful for the weekend. But Caleb Porter said it was still up in there. Still up in the air as to Fernando Adi. Uh, let's go to Liam Ridgewell, who came out late in the game, I believe in second half stoppage time. Uh, and there was some question about whether there was an injury at all or whether it was a head or whether it was the calf or whether it was the quad. Uh, what do we know about that today? Yeah, it sounds like it's related to the quad injury, but Caleb Porter basically described it as some scar tissue being broken up in this quad, just lingering scar tissue from... Um, the recovery of this injury 
and that creating, I guess, some soreness and some discomfort for Ridgewell. He also didn't think it was severe, but they said that they need to still evaluate to make sure that that's what it is and, and there's not something else going on. He also said he couldn't speak to the status of Ridgewell for this weekend um, at this point either. Um, but again, I, I think when you have a road trip like Toronto, I'd be surprised if either Audi or Ridgewell is pushed into this game unless they're 100% ready to go. Marco Farfan. Farfan is still out uh, with a sprained ankle. He was running on the side of training on Tuesday, which I think is a good sign just because on a sprained ankle, um, once you start running, that, that's a good step forward. But there's still, obviously, running in straight lines is not the same as cutting back and forth and uh, playing soccer uh, like they need to be able to do. So um, Porter had said he was behind schedule. We don't know exact day for his return, but he's expected to be out this weekend. And finally, Darren Maddox. Maddox left uh, practice on Tuesday. I basically went down during a, a small-sided game, w- was holding his shoulder, it looked like, uh, as he walked off with trainers. But Porter said today that he was fine. So um, it, it looked bad in the moment, but but it appears that um, obviously Max was coming off a shoulder injury. Maybe they were just being precautious or, or he got a little bit worried uh, um, when he fell. But Porter seemed to think that that injury was not something to worry about and he was fine so you alluded to it a moment ago uh but but we do have uh you know sort of the looking forward then to the tfc game uh that is saturday by the way at three o'clock if i remember right two o'clock sometime in the afternoon Eh, look it up for yourself just to be sure three o'clock uh the the reporter who actually you know deals in facts uh signals to me from across the internet uh but yeah so i mean with adi and ridgewell questionable I mean, what do you think about this, uh, about sort of whether it's worth trotting them out to play if it's a close call? Why, if you don't think, if you don't think it's worthwhile, as you, as you indicated, why do you think that is? And uh, if they don't play, who do you think will replace each of those two? Roy Miller, by yeah. the way, is suspended for this game, so he is ineligible to be part of your answer. Yeah, I I don't think it's worthwhile, especially in Audi's case, he hasn't trained up till today. I'm not sure Ridgewell was not training on Tuesday. I'm not sure what his status was, but it sounded like both were, they were evaluating both of them still. And when the team is leaving for the game on Thursday, I I think that's a big ask to take these guys on the trip, um, try to push them into this game if they're not 100% ready. I think it just makes a lot more sense from the Timbers' perspective to maybe leave these guys back, make sure they're getting 100%. You're not going to cause more injury that could keep these guys out longer, particularly in Ritual's case, given how long he's been out. You really don't want to push him and possibly risk further injury. I think it makes more sense just to leave them at home, have them rehab, and get them ready for next week. Um, I, I think there's pretty clear well i guess in ridgewell's case i think the clear uh change is going to be olam coming in for ridgewell uh, with miller suspended I, I expect vitas uh who we knew was on the bench for the last game to move into that left back role and, and then olam who's played alongside mabial already and has obviously got a lot of starts center back this year coming back into the starting lineup audi's case is a little bit um, more up in the air. I, I think the Timbers have two obvious options with either using Maddox or, or using Ebobasi uh, in that role. Um, and, and I'm not quite sure which one Caleb Porter is going to go with. Uh, Maddox obviously was coming off a good Gold Cup, um, had been playing well lately, 
and Porter for much of the season has considered him the number two. But then you look at Abobasi's game against Vancouver and Porter pointing to need, the fact that to develop young players, you need to get them 90-minute games, not just five, 10 minutes off the bench. So it'll be interesting to see which uh, direction Porter goes out of those two, but I, I definitely think it'll be one of those two guys in the starting lineup. Uh, yeah, I agree with you, and, and I just want to add a couple reasons uh, as to why I wouldn't push them with these guys. And, and, and one is looking forward in the schedule, uh, starting not this weekend, but but the weekend after. The Timbers have sort of a three games and nine day stretch. They play the New York Red Bulls at home, uh, the Colorado Rapids at home, uh, and then they go to play the Seattle Sounders in Seattle. Uh, it is it is not an unfavorable stretch because they actually go Friday, Wednesday, Sunday, which is about as well as you can sort of set that stretch up. It is better than uh, the Sounders who have to play three games in seven days. Uh, so there is sort of an inherent advantage built into that. Also, the Timbers don't have to travel midweek uh, because both of those first two games are at home. So that actually sets up pretty nicely, about as nicely as, as it possibly can for the Timbers if they want to really try to rack up some points in that week. And I just think is sort of priority number one then. Uh, for those guys is to be is to be to have those guys available for that three game stretch. You could conceivably see uh, both of those guys play significant minutes in all three of those games, uh, and that is sort of the, the the kind of stretch where if the Timbers can be healthy and playing good soccer during those three games, they could come out of that with seven or nine points, uh, and you'd be turning around looking at looking at that and saying, boy, that's kind of a game changing, season changing kind of stretch if they're able to do it. Certainly more important, and this gets to the second point, than a road game at Toronto FC. Because it's a road game at an Eastern Conference opponent, it's not the kind of game uh, that's going to be a six-pointer. It's not the kind of game that's going to affect the Western Conference playoff table uh, for the other team at all. And so if there's a game, and and certainly with 10 games left in the season, there's no game that the Timbers don't want to win. But if there's a game that's, that's sort of less important than others... This is the game. It's a really tough road game. There's every possibility that if the Timbers were to take their full squad, were to push Adi back into into action, maybe push Ridgewell back into action, that given how good TFC is, and there's a decent case being made that they're one of the best teams in MLS history, but given as good uh, as as TFC has been, there's every possibility that they wouldn't be able to get the points out of that game in any event. Uh, And and if that's the case, there's literally no cost to leaving these guys at at home. Now, there is every possibility that they could go there uh, and, and scratch out a point or maybe even three if they, if they pull off a bit of a miracle. Uh, but, I mean, is that sort of possibility worth the risk of then not having Adi and Ridgewell or Adi or Ridgewell for that uh, following three-game turnaround? I think the answer is clearly no. Uh, and, frankly, I would be surprised, given the, their sort of questionable nature on here this Wednesday afternoon, uh, their questionable nature on Wednesday, I would be surprised if either made the trip uh, to Toronto. Uh, I, I obviously agree with you as to Olam and, and as to Vitas on the back line. Uh, I think those are straightforward. I really want to see Abobasi in, instead of Maddox. And, and, and part of it is for the reason that you noted. Uh, I think it is important, especially in light of his success in Vancouver. I thought he played perfectly fine, uh, had, had a decent little outing against Houston as well. Uh, I think it is important to get to get Abobasi this start. Frankly, there aren't going to be many or maybe any other opportunities this year. Uh, to get him a start in a game where it really makes sense, uh, where the Timbers can sort of uh, afford uh, to be starting a guy that's not Fernando Adi, uh, I think it makes a ton of sense uh, to get Abobasi this start, to get him 70 minutes, and to give him an opportunity to come into the team playing with guys like Larry, playing with guys like Blanco, playing with guys like Nagby, who he's played well with before, uh, to give him an opportunity to to go out and put in another good performance on the road 
uh, and see if he can sort of sort of step up to that level again. Uh, there's every reason to believe he, to believe he can do it. Uh, I frankly, given what we've seen from Obobese in the recent past, I'm not sure there's a considerable step down in quality uh, from Obobese to Maddox. And in fact, in many ways, I think Obobese may be a better stylistic fit uh, for for what the Timbers like to do uh, with that front four than Maddox may be. Uh, and so, yeah, I would like to see Obobese in that spot. And frankly, I'll, I'll go as far as to say I think it will be Obobese uh, in that spot for the Timbers on Saturday, which is something to look forward to and is a good thing. Uh, Tyler wants to know, did or does Fernando Adi's injury prevent the Timbers from trading Maddox before today's transfer deadline? Today is Wednesday. Uh, it is currently 6.51 p.m. Uh, as I say this right now, which means the transfer window closes in two hours and nine minutes. We have not heard anything uh, about Maddox being traded. There has been uh, sort of rumors, murmurs that it's been possible, uh, but we haven't seen anything concrete uh, out there. Do you think Adi's injury plays into that uh, at all, or do you think it's other factors that uh, if it doesn't happen, we'll, we'll dictate that? Yeah, I think it's other factors. Um, if the, there might just not have been a deal out there that made sense for the Timbers, that they felt that they were getting uh, a good trade out of um, that was worth losing Maddox at this point. Um, I, I don't think Adi, it doesn't look like Adi has a serious injury. Um, I, I think that's a big point. And, and like we just went over, they have Abobasi as well, who has shown at least in his one start that he could be a real option there, even an option at potentially ahead of Maddox. They have other options at the number nine spot if they have to go there. It's a spot Espria could play in, for example. Um, so yeah, I, I just don't see those two as connected. I, I think if they had a good deal for Maddox and it made sense, they would have got it done. And, and frankly, I'm a little bit skeptical, I suppose, that that, that the Timbers would be able to get. I, I'm, I'm fully confident the Timbers would, would be able to find somebody that would be interested in Maddox uh, and that would be willing to take on Maddox's salary. I kind of doubt, given that Maddox's salary is not insignificant, uh, that the Timbers would be able to find somebody who is also willing to give them value, to give them you know a, a decent chunk of allocation money uh, or give them a, a, a good draft pick or something like that in exchange for Maddox. I, my guess is if the Timbers dealt Maddox, it would be mostly a salary dump. And you don't do a salary dump. There's no reason to do a salary dump unless you have sort of an immediate use uh, for, uh, for, for, for that money. Uh, and it may just be that the Timbers don't sort of have somebody uh, immediately on the line that they could be ready to sign uh, that would fit within the, you know, half season budget charge of, of Maddox's $300,000 or so spot. Uh, that they would be able to, to sort of immediately upgrade any position. We're going to talk about that in just a hot second. Uh, so, I mean, my guess is that is much, much more significant in dictating the Timbers' activity, if any, heading into the, the deadline than, than Adi's injury. I, I agree with you that given that it's not a sig- significant injury, uh, given that they do have a Bovisi, that they do have a Spria, uh, I, I do not think that, that that is really sort of wagging that dog uh, in any way whatsoever. Uh, some questions about the Timbers. One comes from Patrick. Uh, Caleb Porter, last week on the on this very podcast, if you did not hear his interview with us, I recommend going back and giving it a listen. It is good stuff and certainly applies well, well beyond uh, just last week. But in any event, uh, he said that he would like to upgrade. The, there is a position on the roster right now that he would like to upgrade, but that he didn't say which position it was. Speculate, Jamie Goldberg. Which do you think it is? I think it's right back. 
Um, I, I think that Alvis Powell has underperformed this year. I, I think that Chance Myers has been injured uh, and hasn't been able to push Powell like the Timbers had hoped. And I, I think Valentin, while he's a good depth piece, is not a player that the Timbers were ever considering to be a starter. Um, they want a player at, at fullback. Kale has been clear about that. That can be a player that can both be a good defender, also, but also get forward and contribute in the attack. And, and while Powell was able to do that part, get forward and contribute in the attack and even score in the last game, that's not something we've seen from him consistently. And, and the defense has, has been inconsistent as well. He, even in this last game where he scored, um, you look at the goal that Zardes scored. Uh, Powell basically gave up the free kick by making a, a dumb decision to commit a handball when he was looking for a foul. So um, I think he's been inconsistent. I, I think he's been an overall disappointment this year. And that's a position that the Timbers would like someone to push pal and, and beat him out for the spot. If they're better. I definitely think it's right back uh, as well. Um, and I think that probably goes to, to sort of highlight why the Timbers are probably or apparently looking like they won't be trading uh, Darren Maddox. And, and, and that is look uh, given that it's sort of a, you know, it's essentially a $300,000 uh, sort of cap hole that they could then fill uh, with, with a starting quality right back. I, I think when you factor in that they would have to like fold into that uh, the acquisition fee, uh, whether it's a transfer fee or, or, or a buyout or something like that uh, from uh, for for a player, I'm doubtful that they would, without taking great pains, be able to find somebody uh, who is available in this window right now at the sort of sort of toward the end of the window uh, that they would be able to find somebody that would be. Uh, you know, easily easily able to fit within that spot. You look at where uh, international signings are going uh, in these kinds of spots, it's not at all uncommon now. And we've seen, I think, a couple, at least in this transfer window, to see teams using targeted allocation money uh, to bring in, you know, sort of a, a, a sure thing starting quality right back. Uh, it's not at all uncommon for, for those kinds of players to be paid $350,000, $400,000, and maybe even to come with the transfer fee along with it. Uh, and and so I'm just a little bit skeptical that they would be able to find somebody to fill that spot uh, in this window, in this sort of time frame uh, that would fit within uh, the, the the hole that Darren Maddox uh, and his trade would create in uh, in, in a trade. Uh, Andy wants to know how hot is it on the turf on a 94 degree day, and besides injury, does this seem to be another problem uh, for turf? I don't know the exact number of how hot it is on a 94 degree day on the turf, but you've seen the measurements that the timbers have done. And I believe the thorns have done as well when they're measuring the heat on the turf um, on hot days and they're well up there in the hundreds. Um, It's very, very hot on the turf um, on a 94 degree day. And to the point where you'll see lots of players throughout the game, pouring water on their feet. Um, just because their feet are burning up there as they're running around. Um, yeah, it, it's not an ideal aspect of turf. I, I think as turf goes, the Timbers have one of the better um, options in MLS, and I think opposing players will say that as well. And, and I just don't see at this point grass being a viable option in Portland, um, both with the weather that is here and the fact that this is a multi-use field to some degree uh, with multiple teams playing in one weekend and then also Portland uh, State football also using the field as well. Um, So yeah, 
there's reasons why players prefer grass. Um, as turf goes, Providence Park is pretty good. Um, but yeah, it gets really hot on the field uh, uh, during a hot day. I think the last time uh, the Timbers delayed in that instance, the start of a game, uh, in order to get out of the midday sun, they, they took sort of a, a thermometer measurement down on the field uh, at midday about when the, the game would have been kicking off. And correct me if I'm wrong about this, but it was something like 150 degrees, uh, which is utterly insane. That That is completely unplayable, right? We, we can all agree on that. Uh, that is not, those are not playable conditions. Uh, and they have played in similar conditions in the past. Uh, and it's led to some, yeah, pretty bad games where you did see a lot of guys spraying water on, on, on their shoes and doing those sorts of things. So uh, is this a problem for turf? Absolutely. And actually, to me, it is the primary problem for turf. Uh, I think the 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 you know empirical evidence out there about turf causing more injuries than grass is highly suspect. It does cause more sort of you know rug burn type types of things, but even less so. I mean, not even as much uh, with sort of the newer turf like the Timbers had, uh, as opposed to the old carpet uh, and, and and sort of harder uh, kinds of surfaces. But I mean, when you look at at, at sort of soft tissue injuries and, and and those sorts of things, more serious injuries. The empirical evidence on that is at best questionable. Uh, the turf, in fact, in, in fact, causes a significant degree uh, more injuries than, than a grass field. You've certainly seen uh, in, injuries that, that have been contributed to or, or caused in part by bad grass fields uh, in the past. Turf fields tend to be a lot more consistent than that. Uh, and, and so, you know, I, I don't buy uh, very significantly and I don't see compelling evidence to support the injury argument. But there is absolutely compelling evidence to support uh, that this is sort of the primary problem with turf. And just to, to clarify things, you know, it's less the weather that is the reason uh, why the Timbers don't have uh, natural grass. And it is, as you noted, Portland State football. And football is absolutely gnarly, especially in the fall, especially during weather, wet weather, uh, absolutely gnarly uh, on a grass field. And those teams that do uh, play on grass fields and share them with football teams – you know, you you notice that the field is in really, really bad condition, especially after they've played a football game in wet weather, because it just crushes it in a way that is not fixable, uh, even in, in a matter uh, of days and even sometimes weeks. Uh, and so that is a that is a huge problem. Providence Park also has a couple sort of sort of just logistical problems with grass. First of all, it is dug down uh, and it is below the water table. It's actually built basically right on top of a creek. Uh, which makes drainage difficult. Uh, there, there are ways to improve the drainage. Uh, there's, there are sort of techno technological ways uh, that the Timbers could spend money to install that would, that would remedy to some extent that problem, uh, but they couldn't remedy it entirely. And so that, that is a challenge. Uh, and, and then the other thing is because it's sunk down in uh, and because the stadium is built up basically on all sides of it, if you include the Multnomah Athletic Club on the south side of the field, it actually has relatively limited sun exposure. You notice uh, that, the, that the Providence Park field is under shade pretty early in the day, by about 4 or 5 o'clock, even during summer months. Uh, that, that, that field or parts of it are already in shade. And the reason that's a problem is, well, photosynthesis. Uh, you need sun in order to grow grass. Uh, and, and so that creates an issue. Now, if... There wasn't Portland State football. Uh, could the Timbers and Thorns sort of get around those other logistical issues? Yeah, they could, and, and they've said as much that the, they would be able to, to to work it out where they where they would be able to to get around those issues. But Portland State football does exist. They can't make it disappear. Uh, that is that is something that is dictated by the city and Portland State University. 
And the simple reality is the Timbers and Thorns would then have a field that would be in its worst condition at the most important time of year uh, because of the fall and when the, the Timbers and Thorns are in the late part of the regular season or in their playoffs uh, would be exactly when PSU would be chewing it up. Uh, and that, I don't think, is a terribly desirable result. Uh, so, yes, this is a problem for turf. There, there's, there's no question about it. The heat issue on turf is an absolute issue, and, and it's a significant checkmark uh, in favor of having natural grass. But there are other issues that I, that I think uh, keep the balance on, on the side of retaining turf, at least as long as Portland State is a thing. Uh, Ivan, name a few people you see leaving in the offseason. What do you think, Jamie Goldberg? Uh, who do you think is on their way out of the Rose City uh, looking ahead to the winter? Um, I, I think Ridgewell still is. Um, the fact that he has another injury one game after coming back, he, even if it, it maybe keeps him out one game, doesn't bode well. Uh, he just has not been in the lineup enough, and, and I, I think that's hurt the Timbers over the last year and a half. Um, so I don't see him coming back. I think they'll go another uh, way with that and, and try to get a guy that's going to be healthier so they can get some consistency on the back line there. Um, I, I think Maddox is, is likely going to be gone. He has also been very injury prone. And, and when you look at a, a Bobasi coming up, I, I think they're going to want him to move into a true number two role next year. Um, and I think moving Maddox makes sense given the injury issues there, maybe getting somebody else uh, in the attack that's a little bit more versatile um, that can not be the number two at the number nine, but will stay healthy and like Maddox be able to play in uh, multiple positions uh, up top. Um, and I, I mean, I think there'll be a number of moves. I think Alvis Powell will be an interesting one. Um, I think they've given him a pretty good look uh, by this point. He really hasn't lived up to expectations and consistency is an issue. I, I think he has the rest of the year to prove himself and, and is still relatively um cheap when, when you look at the salary cap but uh i, I think the timbers are going to want a consistent right back and I, I like we both said that's the position where we think that porter was talking about upgrades so um i could see alvis powell leaving and them going in a di- different direction there as well yeah in particular you know i i totally agree with you that powell sort of has this opportunity to semi-redeem himself over the course of the next uh 10 games or so uh, but I also think Powell could be, even if he does that, uh, the Timbers could still be saying, you know what, we want more consistency, and so we're going to go out and get somebody. And even if they have Powell under control for next year, it wouldn't surprise me if in the offseason they look to trade him. I do think Powell would be a guy, given the upside, given the ability, uh, that the Timbers could get something of value, and, you know, not $500,000 in allocation money, but could somebody give him $150,000 in allocation money? Maybe if Powell plays really well uh, to finish out the year 200000 I could see it. Uh, and would the Timbers be interested in a deal like that? I definitely think so. Uh, and so that is definitely one that I think is, is something to look at. I agree with you on Ridgewell. I definitely agree with you on Maddox. I would be surprised under basically any circumstances to see him back. Uh, Renico Clark is another guy that has just had a nightmare of a year that I, I uh, would not be surprised at all uh, if he moves on uh, over the course of the offseason. Uh, but it, it, otherwise, I, I actually think this is likely to be kind of a stable year. The, the other one that I do think about a little bit uh, and this will depend on a lot of factors, but it is Vitas. I, I think Vitas has been frankly good for the Timbers basically whenever he's played for them, uh, which is why I, I think the, you know, I would certainly, if I were to place bets on anything, I would certainly bet on him staying, 
Uh, but it would just be interesting to see what kinds of offers they would get for Ravidas uh, and whether they think they have they have better options. And, and frankly, somebody who, who lingers in the back of my mind uh, and who has been rumored to express interest uh, is Jorge Villafania. It is not at all clear that he is going to win the starting spot with Santos Laguna. He needs to be playing, uh, especially heading into a World Cup year in which he is competing for and, and, and appears to have the inside track for uh, the starting left back spot for the U.S. men's national team. Uh, it, it, if the Timbers can find a way to, to flip Vitas in a way that gets them in position to bring back Jorge Villafania, I think they would do that in a heartbeat. Uh, and, and that is no knock on Vitas. As I said, I think he's been good. But, you know, I mean, that's a, a situation and a, a position where you could see the Timbers uh, jumping in an opportunity to upgrade the position. Otherwise, though, I, I think we'll see a, a pretty, you know, barring sort of the Timbers going into the tank. In these next in these next ten games, and assuming the Timbers sort of make playoffs and and, and don't vomit all over themselves when they get there, uh, I think it'll be a pretty similar team uh, starting next year than uh, than the one that we have uh, right now. Thorns two dash one. That was the final score of the Thorns game this last weekend as they beat the Houston Dash uh, by a score of two to one. As I said like six seconds ago, uh, our predictions you called a four one shellacking uh, for the Thorns over the dash with a Haley Rosso goal. Uh, you got the result right, but you didn't get the shellacking right. Although, frankly, the, there are versions of, the, of that game in which that would have been a plausible scoreline. Uh, and you didn't get the side bet. Uh, I called a 3-1 win uh, with an Emily Sonnet assist. I forgot I called an assist. I think I changed that at the last minute instead of a goal. She did score a goal, which would have been like an amazing side bet hit, but I didn't get it. Um, and three, one is obviously closer to four, one because three is a smaller number than four, but it is still not two. Um, if you want math made in Portland, that was our lesson for today. Uh, Jamie Goldberg, go ahead and give out the points. Once again, uh, it's going to be interesting to see what you do with this. I'll give myself nine and I'll give you, um, 11. I think that's fair. That's actually when you said nine, I was like, I should get like a couple more points than that, but not like a bunch. So uh, nine to 11, 11 to nine, uh, as it is, I I come out on top in the predictions. Uh, I think a really handy way to talk about this game uh, came from Richard. This was not how I was thinking about it, but I think it's a a good way to think about it, is which 2-1 win was better? The win over the Washington Spirit a few weeks back uh, or the Thorns win over the Dash this last weekend? What did you think and, and, and why? I, I mean, I think there's interesting ways to look at both. I think the one nice thing uh, about the Spirit game was that the Thorns came back from a deficit to get the win. And that was the first time this season that they did that. And I think that gives the team a little bit of confidence to know that they can come back uh, even when they're down and still get a, the winning results. So I think in that sense, that game gave them confidence that, um, I, I think could be important, especially as they now go back on the road. Um, but I, I thought versus the dash, they, they put in one of their better performances of the year. I, I thought the thorns looked very good uh, in this game, despite still missing uh, a, a key player, a key player in Ina Deem and having players come back um, from on short rest. Um, so I, I think that's really, the performance against the dash was really promising. I, I think it's something the thorns can build off of. So if I have to pick the two, I, I think um, I'm more excited about the performance overall versus the dash and um, what they can do with that. But I, I think when you look back at the Washington game, the fact that they came back from a deficit could be something that gives them confidence down the road. 
I, I definitely think it was the dash. Uh, and, and the reason is I thought the performance from the Thorns was significantly better. Uh, although there were extended stretches of time against, uh, against the Spirit where the Thorns, frankly, looked a little bit stagnant. I thought the Thorns were actually pretty firing on all cylinders throughout the, the entirety of the dash game. I think the dash right now, especially with Carly Lloyd, who did play 90 minutes, uh, even coming off of national team duty, uh, I, I, thought, I think the dash are just better right now than than the spirit are and so i thought there was a a little bit more competition there i didn't think the dash looked especially good but i thought the thorns had a lot to do with that christine sinclair was frankly the best we've seen her all year uh and i don't i'm not even willing to to entertain arguments to the contrary uh against the dash she was outstanding especially in that first half and just dominated when she stepped into into midfield uh and and created a lot of danger from that i thought having dagny brinia's daughter uh, and getting her back into the center of the field for a good chunk of the game uh, really paid dividends. Uh, I thought Haley Rosso, we've seen Rosso be very good sort of as a winger in, in a starting point. She was playing really in, in a true sort of two forward setup uh, in this game against the Dash. That's a spot where she's actually struggled at times to find the spaces centrally uh, and to find the runs centrally uh, that are going to free her up. I thought she was significantly better in that regard against the Dash. Uh, and, and so overall, I just thought it was just a darn good performance. Uh, I thought the Thorns were a little bit unlucky to give up the one penalty that they did give up against the Dash. Uh, otherwise, I thought it was a, a pretty sound defensive performance. And frankly, uh, I thought the Thorns were a little bit unlucky, as I noted a minute ago, or at least alluded to, not to go three or four to one uh, in this game. And so overall, I, I think for me, it is the Dash performance and it is the Dash performance uh, by some different by some distance. Uh, now that folks are back, by the way. Welcome back, Nadia Nadim. After uh, making the Thorns proud by advancing all the way uh, with her, with her uh, Denmark team all the way to the Euro final. Uh, now that everybody is is back from the Euros, uh, is sort of back in a hundred percent after being out on national team duty. Although we'll see, Nadim might be a little bit limited as, as far as minutes go this weekend. Uh, do you think five at the back will continue? We've seen it relatively consistently. Uh, through the course of this period of time in which the Thorns have had a lot of absences, do you think it'll continue this week on the road at the Red Stars? Uh, Parsons alluded to today, maybe going back to a formation that the Thorns used early in the year, particularly um, he thought how they played against Chicago the first time around was effective, um, but also said that they now know based on the last few games that, that the formation they've been using is something that works. So, I think that might be something they keep in their back pocket, but um, I, I do think five at the back might start to go away at this point with all the personnel coming back. I definitely think so. And, and to me, it basically boils down to, A, I, I haven't loved how the five back has, has worked all the time. I, I think they've been inconsistent, albeit better against the dash than at any other time, uh, at getting the width that they need from from the wing backs. Uh, and, and, and so I think it's had good moments and it's had bad moments. Uh, I think the, the, the four at the back, the four, two, three, one sort of four, three, three setup, uh, has generally looked pretty darn good. And, and, and I basically come down to, uh, the idea, uh, that this is, that this is essentially a decision between, do you start Nadia Nadim, uh, or do you start, uh, Ashley Sykes, uh, as a wing, as a wing back for Sykes or as a winger, or maybe even as a, as a number nine, uh, for uh, in, in sort of a, a four-back. And to me, that's not a question. Uh, Nadim has been very, very good for this Thorns game. Uh, if she is ready to go uh, 60 minutes, you definitely play her 60 minutes, period, end of story. 
Catherine Reynolds is a perfectly competent uh, right back. Uh, is a right back that makes a lot of sense if you're going to play with a true winger on the right on the right side. Uh, hello, Haley Rosso. Uh, and, and I think that is a very very viable setup for the Thorns uh, as they go forward. How they sort out where they're going to put Sink. Uh, where they're going to put Nadim. Uh, do they maybe go to a 4-4-2 and, put them bo- and, and work them in a two-front uh, and, and do something a little bit different with their midfield? I think those are all open questions, but when, when I think about sort of the, the, the best group of players that I can get together in a viable formation, that is the one that makes the most sense to me. Um, Thorns at Red Stars. That's Saturday at 5 o'clock. Uh, and the question I have about this one is, is a simple one. Uh, is this the biggest game of the season to date? The Red Stars are sitting in are, are, are sitting right now in second place, if I remember the standings off the top of my head. Uh, one point behind them are the Portland Thorns in third place. Yeah, and so that's that's the table. Is this the big, biggest game of the season to date? Yeah, I, I think so. I, I think the North Carolina game at home was a big one, and it, it was a huge win for the Thorns to, to prove that they could beat the number one team um, in the league. But yes, I, I think the Red Stars are just one point ahead of the Thorns at this point. If the Thorns can pull ahead, they'll, they'll start to put themselves in a position where they could be looking at a home playoff game, which obviously their goal is to finish first, but but the secondary goal is to absolutely get that home playoff game. Um, and so this is an important game. It's going to be a big swing. Either the Thorns pull ahead of the Red Stars or the Red Stars take uh, potentially a four-point lead over the Thorns rather than one. Um so I think this is the biggest game of the season. It, it's hard to find another one that stands out more. I agree for exactly that reason. The Thorns also need to get uh, their road form sorted out, and, and this is just another reason why it, it, it's a challenging place to go do that, uh, to be sure. Uh, but given the stakes, uh, given that they're, I mean, very likely, unless they're able to sneak up and, and win the Shield, they're two points uh, behind the Courage right now with the, game, with the Courage having a game in hand as well. Uh, so, I mean, I, I think you'd have to say the likelihood is at some point, uh, whether it's in the first round or the second round of the playoffs, assuming they get there at all, uh, they're going to have to go on the road and win one of those games. And, and that means they're going to have to turn around the road form and turn around the road form such that they're able to win a road game against a good team. Uh, and there's no better time than the present to start. So I only add that as an addition to your comments, not uh, as anything to replace, because I think the, basically you nailed it. You nailed the primary reasons why this is, uh, without question, one of the the most, to me, this is the most important game of the season to date. Now, will it be surpassed when we get down to the nitty gritty uh, and it's a matter of they need X number of points to get X spot in the standings? Yeah, I mean, that, that's likely, but that's what to date means. Okay, so don't bring that. Uh, one more Thorns question that it is from that one guy, uh, who wants to know your favorite question, Jamie Goldberg. I know will Tobin Heath be playing soccer again. And I'm going to add this year because I, I assume like the, the, the answer to the, will she play ever play soccer again is obviously yes. But what about this year? Will we see her for the Thorns? Yeah, I, I, I think, I think it's unlikely. I, they, 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 Mark Parsons has said they're aiming playoffs, but I, I think it's very hard to integrate a player, even Tobin Heath, that's been off for as long as she's going to have been off for, especially coming off a bad injury, to want to integrate them right into playoffs. I, I think it, it's probably unlikely we're going to see Tobin Heath this year, and I think that's overall going to be the best decision for her health moving forward and to set her up in a position where she's going to be 100% hopefully next year and, and going into uh, the World Cup. The year after, um, I, I get questions every day about updates on Tobin Heath. She is 
rehabbing with the U.S. Women's National Team staff in Los Angeles. She is not in Portland at this point. Um, the back injury, yes, they, they haven't given us any specific details, but clearly it, it's a bad back injury. It's something that's not going away. She's having discomfort of some sort when she plays, and it's something they've had to really take a step back on it and um, make sure they don't take any steps forward and be very careful with this to make sure her long-term health um, and ability to play soccer is not at risk. So they're very slow with this. It, Mark Parsons didn't think before playoffs. They'd obviously love to have her back at that point, but I, I think that's a tall task to have her come back just for playoffs. So I, I kind of doubt we'll see Tobin Heath this year. Okay. Predictions time. I mean, you know, not Tobin Heath related predictions, uh, but rather Timbers and Thorns related predictions. And let's start with the Timbers at TFC, what's your call on this game? I I think this one's going to be tough for the Timbers. Um, I, TFC is the best team in the league right now, and, and there's a reason for that. They haven't lost a game at home this year as well. I think that Toronto is going to win 3-1. to one. Um, I just really like the side bet. I want it to work. Uh, I'm going to go with a Blanco goal. Going back to the well on the Blanco goal, you know what? I have liked the way the Timbers have played recently on the road, especially uh, and under uh, some pretty adverse circumstances, uh, having uh, a number of guys out. I think the Timbers have put in uh, two consecutive, very, very good performances on the road. And so I'm going to go out a little bit on a limb uh, with them, acknowledging the TFC is an exceptional team, acknowledging that they're difficult to beat at BMO field uh, and acknowledging the, that this is, unlikely (laughs) i'm gonna say the timbers are gonna get a 2-2 draw out of this one and just to double down on the unlikeliness doubly unlikely i'm gonna say dirotus bria is gonna get a late equalizing goal which means the timbers are going to finally earn a point uh late in a game uh something that they have not done yet this year uh thorns at red stars what do you think about this one I am more confident about this. Uh, I think the Thorns have been playing well. I think they're going to have confidence after three straight wins at home. The road has been tough for them, but they at this point should have all their players back and rested um, outside of Nadia Nadim, who they will have, but her minutes might be limited. Um, I I think that this is a game where the Thorns are going to make a statement by by getting a win. So I'm going to call a 1-0 Thorns win. and, and just for some added excitement, uh, AD French is going to have to save a PK. AD French saving a PK. I'm going to go out on a limb, but not as much as you. So just a teeny, 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 tiny step out onto the limb. Uh, I'm going to say the Thorns are going to get a draw out of this one as well. Uh, 1-1 will be the score uh, here. I think the Red Stars are, are, are a good team. I think this is a tall task. Uh, and so, and you know, I mean, I, I feel like I'm, I'm using a lot of my limb points. Uh, on the timbers. So I'm not going to go quite as far, uh, but I am going to say Nadia Nadim is going to get a late equalizer to salvage the point. And frankly, that wouldn't be a bad uh, result for the Thorns in the slightest. Uh, getting that, that sort of tough road game out of the way with the opportunity to get points down the road, including uh, in that midweek game against uh, FCKC, uh, in, in which FCKC is going to be coming off a tougher turnaround uh, on the whole. Uh, I, I think that is a good opportunity to get three points. And, and if the Thorns can get one in that game, uh, I think they'll feel pretty darn good about it. Um, okay, fantasy update. Let's start with third place. That is Timbertown, Lie. Uh, remaining in third place with 2,121 points. Just one point ahead of him is Beer City FC. That's Benjamin 
uh, in second. Uh, and then the top spot remains Big Hearts Brass Balls, but it's getting a little bit squeaky for Aaron at the top. 2,138 points, only 16 points clear. I am in 26th place uh, with 1,928 points, so quite a bit off their pace. But nonetheless, you know, respectively, uh, on the first page uh, of the uh, of the leaderboard, Jamie Goldberg remains on the last page of the leaderboard, uh, or more accurately, not on the leaderboard at all, because she doesn't play. Uh, this is Soccer Made in Portland. If you got this far, I am impressed without knowing that. I am very impressed. Uh, you can find us every week on OregonLive.com and Stumptown Footy. Uh, you can also subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher if that's how you prefer to go about your life. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in this week, as always. Also, thank you for your questions. We'll be back again next week to talk about the Timbers at TFC, the Thorns at the Red Stars, uh, and look forward for both teams. Uh, enjoy the soccer, and of course, until then, until we see you again, take care.